Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan. I'm Mark Kastner. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast. Joined by my co-hosts, Mickey Turner, Susie Rantz, Tim Foss, Beth Mantle, and Dave Clark. This has been an extremely weird podcast. How are they going to be able to handle that? Just the bottom line is they don't have an answer to that. There was never really a time when I was super concerned. Seattle did fine. There's a reason they got signed to first team contract. Very special guest, Brian Spencer, head coach of the Seattle Sounder. You know who he is. Brian how are you doing? I'd start off, Jeremiah, by saying one thing, and this isn't my quote. I have to attribute this to Tom Dutra. He always says, tough times don't last, tough people do. Welcome back to another episode of the Sound at Heart podcast. I'm Jeremiah Shan, and joining me today is Tacoma Defiance goalkeeper and Seattle area native Wallace Lapsley. Welcome to the show, Wallace. How's it, how's it going? Thanks, Jeremiah. It's super excited to be here. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. You know, I'm, I'm always excited to talk to, uh, to, to players, especially players from the Defiance and especially players that have like a local origin story. And uh, I, I feel like a lot, like you, you start to, you're around this community enough that you start to think, you know, everyone that's coming up. and it's I gotta tell you, it was when I, I saw your name on the on the practice sheet, I was like, how do I not know that there is a you know a pro goalkeeper from this area that I've never heard of? And that's you know on some level on me, but also like notably you don't have the most um your your path to pro was not necessarily the most traditional. What can you tell us about your your journey to getting to this point? Yeah, I've been kind of flying under the radar for a little bit um hopefully getting more on more on people's radar as my career goes on but um but yeah like you mentioned I grew up in Seattle playing playing lots of sports really um I think the moment like I really really got into the game of soccer my family moved to Mexico um my dad had a sabbatical from a high school that he teaches at here in the area and my mom uh was working as a nurse as, as at the time she still is now but was kind of ready to transition out of the, the place she was working so they went down with us and my sister and I, we went down to San Cristobal de las Casas in Chiapas and they were doing kind of public health project volunteering in the, in the area in some indigenous communities, in the mountains around the town. And then Suzanne and my sister and I were going to school and no, nobody there spoke really in English. We didn't speak any Spanish. So it was kind of just sort of jumping in the deep end in terms of learning a new culture, a new place. But like looking back at it, it's like one of the best experiences in my life for a lot, a lot of reasons. Um, learning a new language, getting to live somewhere else, getting to know lots of people who have grown up in different backgrounds than, than I had growing up for the first kind of 10 years of my life in the United States. But also my exposure to soccer, my exposure to goalkeeping. The only soccer shirt that I had was uh, an Osvaldo Sanchez goalkeeper jersey, who at the time was just kind of reaching the end of his career as being Mexico's number one. And he had played for Santos Laguna and Liga MX for a long time and had just been an absolute just stud and was super well-known. So I was pretty tall for my age and Southern Mexico is not necessarily known for producing super tall people. So I was like a head or two taller than everybody else. And I already had the goalkeeper Jersey. So once I found a place to play, they're like Portero. Um, and I was like, couldn't really say no or explain that I didn't play, hadn't played it before. So I was like, <laughs> okay, I guess I'll just roll with it. Um, and then it's really, 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 really since then I've been, I've been playing in goal. Um, but yeah, I mean, I came back from there and, played like CYO soccer and 
did some did some, big basketball player, baseball. My dad played college lacrosse, so was doing a lot of stuff with him in in, in the lacrosse game. But um, but yeah, going into high school, I kind of started focusing on soccer a little more. Started playing for Emerald City. Um, Bobby Howe was my first uh, club coach, and I think for those in the youth soccer sort of scene in Seattle, they'll be familiar with Bobby's name. Um, but yeah, he gave me a chance. I played. I was actually playing up a year on a team that needed a goalkeeper, and he saw something in me when at the time I was kind of a lanky, uncoordinated 13-year-old playing with 14 and 15-year-olds. And I struggled a lot at the beginning. And he was, I think, harder on me than my parents were expecting, getting, getting, putting me into a, a new sort of club soccer environment, something that we really hadn't done as a family um, before. But I look back on that now and he really toughened me up. He taught me so much um, and I'm super grateful to his belief in me because sort of from there, I sort of kind of not a linear trajectory, but definitely an upwards one in terms of growing my game and getting more confident, improving a lot, getting into different environments um, and kind of ultimately leading to, to where I'm at now. So you, uh, if I picked up correctly, did you say you were about 10 when you were, when you went to Mexico? Yeah, I was I was ten, so I did, I did fifth grade there. Yeah, and I had my eleventh birthday while we were living there. Nice. And so I'm. It sounds like you've retained some Spanish. Yes, uh, I mean soccer is a great game in the sense that every team that I've played on has always had a few Spanish speakers. So it's been something that um, has been a really great way to communicate with players. Um, I think it's. I'm, we're super lucky as English speakers. Most people across the world speak fantastic English. And being able to express yourself in your native language, there's a real comfort and just, yeah, you can feel safe, I think, talking there. So when I'm able to do that for other people speaking in Spanish, I think it's a great way to connect with somebody that maybe you didn't know. Um, playing, or was one year I played a summer on a summer team in like Petaluma, Petaluma, which is in Sonoma County in Northern California. And everyone there spoke Spanish. And I'm not somebody who visually looks like somebody who could speak. He could Spanish. So the first like week and a half, the guys are talking in Spanish and not saying anything bad about me, but talking about me or just assuming that I can't speak. And like after a while, it's like like, oye, les tengo que decir que les puedo entender. Like I have to tell you guys like that. I can understand what you're saying. <laughs> and most people are like, oh no way, and things like that. Um, but it's been fun here getting part be, being part of the Sounders organization and being able to connect with guys like Freddie, Nico, Raul, guys who I've been watching since I was a kid. Um, and now I, I can be out there with training with them and, and communicating with them in Spanish. And yeah, it definitely, it, I, I came in and trained briefly in 2020. I remember like my first co conversation with Javier Arriaga. He's like, Whoa, bro, you sound like you grew up in Mexico and things like that. So I still have the accent a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's something that I really enjoy and super, super fortunate to have the opportunity to, to, to learn it at an early age and have been able to keep up with the language. So Chiapas is not a an area that I imagine a lot of Americans end up visiting, even if they spend time in Mexico, it's not exactly a, a tourist uh, haven uh, as far as I know. Uh, what was it like being down there? And, and did you, you know, what was, what was your experience outside of, of soccer? Yeah, I think the town that we stayed in San Cristobal does have a decent amount of like uh, mostly sort of European kind of backpackers who are coming through. Chiapas has a lot of like migrants and then neighbor and then it borders Guatemala and there's some other kind of historical sites and, and beautiful places to visit there as well. So there's a de decent amount of North American, European, South American tourists coming through, but for sure. in in the neighborhood where we lived on Calle Tapachula, there was, there was nobody else who was, was from the United States or, or, or who looked like us. Um, but like I was, 
at the time, maybe it's hard to understand as a fifth grader, but like looking back, it's just so amazing how welcoming and kind like people were in our neighborhood, always like super willing to help and things like that. And initially, like, like anybody who moves into a new neighborhood, it takes some time to sort of feel out like the vibe and things like that. But people were super welcoming, super kind. And um, I remember going to like school the, and the first week of school there, like you take it, you take tests from the previous year to see how much you remember. So I'm coming in, not speaking any Spanish at all. And I'm faced like every day with a three hour multiple choice test all in Spanish. Fortunately, it's multiple choice. So I could at least put something down. But like I even then, like it recess, people are like, like telling me not to worry about it. Or like a couple of the kids spoke a little bit of English because they had they had an English class that was there. That was my best class in the first couple of months was English class. Um, <laughs> although the English teacher was a little I think she was a bit self-conscious about her English because she would always avoid my parents because I felt I think that she was worried that they would like somehow like tell on the her to the principal that she didn't have good English or whatever. I don't know. But um, <laughs> but yeah, it was it was it was definitely like I, I beginning super, super hard by not being able to communicate. But I think that was one of the best parts about the experience in the retrospect is like I had to learn quickly because I had to be able to communicate and stuff like that and I think we got there at early August and by Christmas time I really sort of had my feet under me and could communicate and, and, and speak pretty well and then from there it was just every day was a little bit easier and easier oh that's that's I I I, I love that story uh for what it's worth but it's that's great uh so you you leave uh Seattle you go to UC Davis spent a, I guess 4 years there and then you end up getting drafted reasonably high you're a second round pick by the Red Bulls correct Mhm And how I guess how how did that experience go with the Red Bulls organization they play a very specific style uh and I I, I so I assume they they must have seen something specifically about you that they liked Yeah I mean I I guess I want to give credit to the coaching staff at UC Davis. They gave me an opportunity to come as, as a walk-on um, my first year there. And that was the only place that gave me an opportunity to play college soccer. So I knew that I really wanted to keep playing. And as a junior, senior in high school, kind of going through the recruiting process, that was my main goal was to try to find a place that I could play at the highest level. So when they sort of said that they would kind of, I could come for preseason and sort of see how it would go and, continue from there if it worked out I sort of sight unseen I'd been to Davis for like a two-day camp and had in the summertime but didn't know a ton about the school or anything like that but was super lucky in that almost everything that I didn't know and ended up learning about the school I really really loved um so yeah they gave me my like my collegiate opportunity and the goalkeeper coach there Jason Hotelling like he would always say to people who would come to the program like we'd have ID camps and I'd be working the camps he'd always say like about me saying that, oh, he is going to be playing in the MLS. And I would sort of just like kind of be like, okay, whatever. He's just sort of just saying that as a recruiting pitch. But he truly believed in me and, and I think believed in me a little bit before I believed in myself that I could continue playing. Um, so I definitely want to give him credit. But, yeah, I mean, once once I kind of got into my junior and senior year, I realized that I could potentially keep going. And once I got a little taste of that opportunity going to train a few different places in the summertime, I was like, okay, I really want to go for it. Um, but, but yeah, Red Bull, yeah, they definitely play a very specific type of style. And they felt like with my kind of technical ability that I'd honed into college and some of my qualities, like I had a coach who called me the master of disaster in the sense, like when things were going bad or like, he- like hectic or helter skelter, like that's when I would thrive. Like I make a lot of saves, like 
not as many now, but certainly growing up, like just getting hit in the face. Cause I'm willing to, I'm either <laughs> willing or too dumb to get out of the way. I don't know at this point, it's kind of both, but I think that kind of scrappiness maybe stood out to them a little bit. I'm not, yeah, I'm not totally sure exactly why they, they, they identified me as somebody they were interested in, but, um, but yeah, it was, it was great. I mean, it's, it's a first class organization there and they gave me my first sort of step into the professional soccer realm. John Wolniak was the coach at Red Bulls too. He gave me some, he gave me lots of opportunities and believed in me. Preston Burpo was the first team goalkeeper coach. I know he was a big part of bringing mm-hmm. me in. Um, so super grateful to those guys for sure, for giving me the opportunity. And, and yeah, it was a challenging year. Like we got shut down after playing one game in the USL because of COVID. And I was lucky enough to be staying with my aunt and uncle who lived in New Jersey. So at least I was able to be with family during the three month period. But um but yeah, it's definitely uh, not not the way that I had envisioned my first year as a professional going for sure. And so you ended up, it sounds like you ended up kind of back in Seattle though, uh, shortly after that, right? Like in the. Yeah. So once the season um, had finished with New York and unfortunately they declined my option and I was released from the club, I had a relationship with Tom Dutra a little bit um, during the sort of the, the draft process. We had, we had been in communication a little bit and, and that was a place that was potentially looking a place, potentially a place I could have ended up in the draft for whatever reason. It, it didn't, it didn't work out that way um, in January of 2020, but yeah, I came in and trained a little bit for a few weeks then, um, which was, which was super nice to, to be able to kind of get back into another environment and kind of put my best foot forward and ended up not sort of materializing into an opportunity for the 2021 season. So I went down to play in USL league one in Tucson. Um, but after 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 the past year, I was able to play a lot and put some good things on video. I was invited back out for for preseason camp here and acquitted myself relatively well to the point where when once the opportunity with Defiance was one they were willing to give me, I I didn't hesitate and was super excited to to join the club in that um, capacity. So when you came into preseason, what was your with the Sounders this year, or define the, with the organization? Uh, mm-hmm. What was your expectation? Like, was it was it that uh, that you were planning on? Like, was I, I would imagine you were hoping you would stick around. But what was your expectation, kind of going into the preseason, and then what was your expectation going into the the season after you'd signed? Yeah, I mean, when I was released from from Red Bull, it was really really challenging because I had kind of gone from like the height of like realizing my dreams and being able to play um, as a professional to being released and being super uncertain if I didn't get to keep doing this. So I told myself then, and something that I try and tell myself a lot and perspective is something that's really important to me. It's like, whatever opportunity I get going forward, if I'm fortunate enough to get one, I'm going to give it 100%. And for me, giving it hundred percent means kind of two things. Number one, like enjoying it as much as I possibly can. Cause like, I think a lot of guys lose sight of like, we do this cause it's super fun. Right. And we're super fortunate to be able to do it. So for me, enjoyment, number one, and then, the secondary thing, or maybe not secondary, but kind of one B to the one A of enjoyment is um, learning. Cause I think like, I knew that I was coming in here to work with a great goalkeeper coach in Tom Dutra with experienced goalkeepers like Steph Cleveland, Stephen Fry, and then a really talented young goalkeeper in Andrew Cleveland. So I thought at the very least, whatever happens from it, I can use the seven days, 10 days, however long I'm here as an opportunity to get better and improve and learn as much as I can from those three guys. So wherever I end up, I can be better for um, or better off than, than where I was going into, going into preseason. 
So you, you ended up playing quite a bit uh, or a fair amount. I mean, you ended up with 10 starts this year for defiance uh, was that, and that was somewhat due to, to injury and, and, and other issues, but how did you feel like this season went for you uh, personally? Yeah. I mean, firstly, I think it's, it's pretty great because the season's not done for us, right? We have an opportunity sure. to play in the playoffs against Houston, which only, um, seven other teams in the whole league do. So that's, that's something super special in and of itself. But, but yeah, I mean, I think like coming in as a backup, right? Like typically backups only play due to poor performance or injury or circumstances beyond like outside of players control. So I was very much just thinking like control what I can control and do my best. And whenever opportunities came, came to me, kind of put my best foot forward, but again, kind of, returning back to those two things of enjoyment and learning, right? Even if I'm not playing, I've got four or five days a week to train and help the team improve and do well and improve and do well myself. So we have a great video staff with Defiance. John Elson Blass does a fantastic job with as both an analyst and just putting together video footage for players. So leaning on him, leaning on Josh Ford, um, Fred Bargaglia, the goalkeeper coaches who've been working with us this year as, as resources to help me improve and trying to have a super open mind, um, in, in terms of like trying different things and listening to what they think can help me grow and improve as a goalkeeper. So one of the things that jumps out uh, about the defiance this year is some of the, their uh, efficiency in, in, especially going forward, I think something more than 20% of their shots have actually resulted in goals, which strikes me as almost off the charts in terms of, uh, as far as that goes. Uh, but how, what role does analytics, you, you mentioned sort of, uh, the, the work that you do with the video team, but I don't know how much, how much impact does analytics and, and that video work have to directly correlating to the way you guys are playing and the way you are approaching games. Yeah. I mean, I think from the player's side, it's certainly more focused on the product on the field and less of the analytics side. But I mean, the whole staff from, from Wade to, to Michael Morris, to John, who I mentioned, they do a ton of work behind the scenes that we only kind of see just a little tiny sort of snippet of. And I think them, they spend a lot of time thinking about those things and helping package it for us in a way that uh, we can just take those concepts and apply them in terms of talking about like optimal areas to finish and stuff like that. It's a lot of this is kind of attacking speak. So I'm not necessarily the the right guy to be be summarizing for it, but um, like you mentioned, we've been incredibly efficient scoring goals and have a great goal scoring record. I mean, part of that's due to some really attacking, a really talented attacking players we have, whether it's Fonz, Marlon, um, Valentin Sabella, Georgia Mignogo, tons and tons of guys who've all been able to contribute in their own way um, over the course of the year. It's been super fun to, to be a part of it as a goalkeeper in training, especially when I maybe wasn't getting consistent matches. Those are what a great opportunity for me to go up against those guys on a consistent basis and kind of sharpen my craft um, working against them. And how has Wade Weber been as a, a coach? It's it, you know, I know from my perspective, I love talking to him, uh, but what's he like as a, as a, from a player perspective? Again, I can only speak for myself and maybe some other guys who, I'm a little closer with on that team, but I think he's been fantastic. I think the way that he communicates with players is really important. I think anybody who's going to be a professional coach understands the game and has to have a knowledge of it for sure. But I think in my opinion, where you separate yourself is your ability to communicate and connect with your players. And yeah, Wade is a super, super smart, intelligent guy. I think um, 
he, when there was one game in particular where he, he'll have like points on the whiteboard for us and he had kind of a dot, dot, dot. And he started off the, the pre-match talk asking if anybody knew what the dot, dot, dot stood for. And he's like, well, it's, a, it, it's an ellipsis. So it's awesome. You never quite know what you're going to get from a, from a talk from Wade. You could get maybe some Lord of the Rings references or <laughs> a little kind of history or grammar lesson and stuff like that. But for me, I love listening to him talk. He's super engaging. Um, I think he and I, see things similarly in terms of just the way to approach being a professional. So it's been a really big pleasure for me to, to be a part of his team. And again, super grateful to him for, for believing in me and giving me the opportunities that he has. From your perspective, how, how well do you think the, like how, how connected do you feel like you are uh, with the defiance to the first team? And, and does this feel like the, like, how would you compare it maybe to the way things were at Red Bull, where uh, the integration between the, the first and second team? Yeah, I think the comparison is a little bit difficult just because once COVID hit, we were pretty much separated Red Bull 2 from the first team because of cross-contamination concerns and things like that. Um, so it's difficult to compare in that sense. But here, I mean, again, I think the quality of individual in the club beyond just the quality of player is, is has really resonated with me every every time I've been fortunate enough to train with the first team I'm always welcomed um in a really really genuine and kind way by all the players not just the goalkeepers people are really friendly and excited to be there and um it's been again there's been a lot of like pinch yourself moments for me especially growing up like again I talk about like watching the Sounders in their first season and Freddie Montero's they're scoring the first goal in club history and now I'm out there on the field of Freddie and he knows my name and he's asking how I am in the, and stuff like that. And again, like once, once training starts, I'm focused on being a goalkeeper and stuff like that, but for sure, like in the walk track to training and stuff like it's super, super special for me. And like for the moments that I've been able to be involved with the first team, whether it was being able to travel on a trip to Leon, Mexico for a CONCACAF Champions League quarterfinal, being able to be on the bench against Austin and stuff like that. Like it's super, it's super, super, special for me it's super super special for my family for friends of mine in the area um so yeah I I I feel very much a part of the club in general and my mentality every time I step out is to do whatever I can to help defiance help the first team help the club overall and I mean I think a moment that really stands out to me when you mentioned like integration connectedness is the, the Champions League final second leg at home when Raul scores the scores the opening goal and he jumps over the over the advertisement boards and he comes and celebrates with the group of us sitting in the, in, in the on the field suite and the first team to our right. I mean, that's something super, super special. Like there's a blur of bodies and Yamar's got his head hand on my head and then Obed's jumping over and stuff like that. And Christian's blasting the ball in, 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 into, the, into the stands. And again, maybe it's just me growing up as a sound supporter and having the club mean something more to me than just a fantastic opportunity to further my professional career. Maybe that's why it's special to me, but I think for everybody on the team in defiance, like in their own way, like there, there's been some super special moments. So yeah, I don't know if I answered your question. Yeah, that's, absolutely. That's, I guess, how I feel. No, absolutely. Uh, one other sort of uh, similar question. What, what's your, your, your take on MLS next pro as the league so far as a, mm-hmm. as a, as a competition? Well, it's super, I mean, it's, again, it's a cool opportunity to be part of a league in its first season. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it provides teams an opportunity to develop young talent in a competitive way. I mean, we've seen competitive teams from top to bottom, at least in the Western Conference. I'm not sure so much if that's been the case on, on the Eastern side of things, but 
it, we, we, we've seen every team has the ability to put forth a really strong lineup with various um, varying levels of first team involvement and not. So it's been super cool to be a part of. I think it's an exciting prospect. There's sort of lots of things happening below the MLS with USL and MISA or whatever and things like that. So it'll be interesting to see over the next five years how things all shake out. But it's been fun for me to, to be a part of the league. And I, in my opinion, the level has been high or higher than than my experiences in, in, in the championship and in, and in League One. So uh, switching gears a bit, one of the things that sort of piqued my interest in terms of talking to you is I noticed you, you had a podcast. And it's not like it's just a, a podcast that you do occasionally. It seems like you, you actually do a pretty good job of, of uh, updating it regularly. You uh, do these pretty extensive interviews with, I, I think, maybe, ex- maybe not exclusively, but almost all a- other athletes, right? Yeah, I'd say it's about 80% athletes. And then okay. I've got some kind of some other ones. I had a, an opera singer. I had a paleontologist. I had a meteorologist oh. on um, a couple of people who I know who are elementary school teachers and stuff like that. It's basically, yeah, basically any job where you have to prepare for, um, which is basically any job. So it's kind of an open-ended concept in that sense, but definitely my interests are sort of firmly rooted in athletic competition and stuff like that. So definitely a lot of my guests have come from that realm for sure. So the, the podcast, in case anyone's interested, it's called separate. The separation is in the preparation, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And what I guess, what have you learned in the process of doing of doing the podcast, and what got you interested? Like, what took you from, I, like, what was the the spark of uh, of like I need to to do this? Yeah, I mean, I've always been interested in media in general, and like, I think the way that athletes utilize their platform, especially now today is pretty interesting in the sense that there's a lot of different ways for athletes to get their thoughts and ideas out there. I mean, I think JJ Redick in the NBA was one of the first players to kind of have his own podcast and he, that has sort of grown and evolved over time. So that was somebody who I listened to early on. And I think like my platform pales in comparison when it, when you look up a lot, numerous professional athletes now who have podcasts, but I think what I always like to think is a platform is a platform, regardless how how big it is. And for me, it the podcast was mostly like my own curiosity. So how can I learn from other people who've been super successful in their respective fields or events or sports? And maybe there's things that I can take into apply. And maybe the small amount of people who listen regularly to my podcast can take things that they can use and apply in their own life. So I think if, if any, if, if only one person listens to one episode and they get something positive out of it, that helps move them in the right direction in their life. then it's worth it beyond that, beyond what I've gotten out of it personally, which is learning a lot, being able to connect with a lot of people um, in kind of a meaningful way. Cause it's a bit intimate, right? Like a one-on-one yeah. interview. And it's interesting. I'm sure you've had this experience yourself, right? Where if I were to go to somebody just in regular conversation and say like, please tell me everything about. Right it is what you do. People would be a little hesitant or a little reticent to really express themselves. But for whatever reason, for most folks, when they get on the podcast, it's kind of a freeing thing where they feel safe sharing. And again, that's something that I never take for granted, right? It's loads and loads of gratitude on my part to people who step on my, on my show and are willing to share sort of intimate details about their life, their struggles, their success and things like that, and open up and, and sort of be real about their experiences because, um, yeah, there's been some incredibly powerful moments just for me. And I think the feedback that I've gotten from people I know listen to the podcast, there's, there's been some moments for the listener as well that have been, have been meaningful. So it's 
been a super fun project, definitely. I, I can't imagine, this is a probably impossible thing to ask you, but is there a, a particular interview that stood out to you as one that you felt like you got, you really got something out of? Yeah, well, I mean, I guess the easy answer is like, they're all special in their own way, right? But um, I think, yeah, there's been numerous. I mean, I think I had a, I had a conversation with a friend of mine, Ben Dobmeyer, um, who now is doing kind of community out, outreach for, for teen suicide awareness. But at the time he was working for a wilderness, kind of wilderness therapy program. And just hearing him talk about like, again, for those not familiar with what that is, it's basically youth from, for a variety of reasons who are struggling in their life. Again, for a variety of reasons are essentially in the wilderness for two months straight. And the instructors are kind of rotating on sort of one week shifts, one week in the field, one week off, but you're essentially in the wilderness with these kids, kind of helping them come to grips with what, with whatever it is that's, that's troubling them and in their life. And he was, he was super, super gracious with sort of sharing his personal experiences and, and the really powerful moments that were um, experienced by him sort of just being, being there, watching these kids sort of deal with, deal with whatever it was that was troubling. And that was an episode that I did early on. And, and again, it kind of reaffirmed the importance for me or my motivation to continue doing the podcast. Cause that was something that I wasn't totally sure, like how it would go going into it, but he was a fantastic guest and the, and the reception that I got from people who listened to it was, was really encouraging and great. And, I, and a lot of, and all that credit goes to Ben really, I'm just sort of there asking an occasional question. He, he did most of the work, but um, that was a special one for sure. Well, I'll, I'll give another plug. I, I actually just was listening to the Sam Rogers interview you did. And yep. I, I would imagine that would be a very uh, accessible one to Sounders fans. Uh, Sam mm-hmm. obviously played uh, for uh, Tacoma Defiance and S2 and Sounders Academy. And he's now having a really uh, a really good time, it seems, in Norway, uh, playing for one of the, the, I guess, the biggest club there yeah. now. Um, and he had a, a great story. He started off in the in second division there and helped his team gain promotion, and then got a big transfer and seems to be in a great place now. But uh, it was it was a, it was an interesting interview uh, to hear him kind of speaking. It sounded like uh, peers talking, which is always I think uh, adds another level of of things to this. Uh, but anyway, I wanted to uh, end with this: uh, the Defiance will be playing their first ever home. Uh, playoff game coming up on Sunday. Uh, just real quick, what what do you what has this season been like for the Defiance, and what does it feel? You know, I, I know you guys stumbled a little bit at the end, went two and three down the stretch, but this has really been an amazing season uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, not the least of which is that it's ending with a, a home playoff game, but this, you know. In the history not of ending, the, the, not ending, continuing, not ending, right? Continuing. Well, it, it's continuing exactly, exactly. That's, I'm, just, I, I, I'm, just, I'm just giving you a hard time. Yeah, absolutely, I, I worded it poorly. That's on me, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's been it's been really a remarkable season for Defiance, uh, both as a as a year in itself, but also in the context of of sort of the uh, the the way that this team has struggled to stay competitive uh, over the years as a as a second team, but the Sounders, and this seems to be sort of like a breakthrough year for them. Um, and for you guys, so I guess just what's the season been like and, and what are the, you know, what's, what's a reason to come out and, and watch, watch you guys. Yeah. I mean, it's been a super special one. I think if I'm not wrong, it's the best season that Tacoma Defiance has ever Absolutely. had. The first time yes. the club's made the playoffs. 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's a super, it's special. Like what's cool about the second team is not only do we have first team involvement, we also have academy involvement. So we have kids who are starting off their soccer, competitive soccer careers, um, who are joining us for training, who are joining us for matches. We had uh, Schneider Burnell, an academy player, started for us on the weekend and, and did fantastic against Timbers too. So for me, again, I, when I was these kids age, like when I was 14 and 15, I was playing JV basketball and like a little different worried about my fantasy football team. Like those were my two like biggest concerns and that, and these kids are playing at an incredibly high level in, in a super competitive professional environment. So it's super cool to kind of be in the middle of that and to be part of it. And yeah, I think people that are come to the match Sunday night are going to see a team that is competitive, that understands the importance. I think not only do we have talented young players, we also have players who have experienced professional soccer in different places, whether it's Randy Mendoza, Pito Avalle, um, Valentin Sedea. These are guys who have played at different clubs who kind of understand some of the ups and downs of, of professional soccer and don't take opportunities for granted, right? I think when you step on the field as a professional, right, like that in and of itself is something special, but something that Wade always tells us, right, is tomorrow is not guaranteed. The only thing you have today is right now, is, is this moment. And I think my my – what, what I think, not what I think, what I know will take place on Sunday is you'll see 11 guys not thinking about yesterday or the next day, but making the most of the moment and putting forth a really, like you mentioned, a really exciting brand of attacking soccer. Um, so yeah, hopefully we score a lot of goals and, and don't concede any. Yeah, that would be, that would be great. And hopefully we can get some people out to Starfire because Starfire uh, traditionally has been a really amazing atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And if you've ever been to a game there when it's, anything like uh packed it is it is really uh one of the great atmospheres i think in in american soccer uh if you've been to an open cup game for the sounders you know what that's like uh unfortunately the defiance haven't always drawn great i don't think that has anything to do with what you guys are doing uh that's stuff that maybe we're doing on our side but hopefully we can get some people out there uh there's no sounders game this weekend uh, a great opportunity to go see some competitive soccer to see the future of the sounders uh, and and maybe uh, push the defiance on to really what's maybe the missing piece in the championship puzzle of the Sounders organization right now. You, we've got academy titles. We've got first team titles. Time to start picking up some, uh, some second team titles. So, uh, Wallace, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, best of luck going forward. And uh, absolutely check out Wallace's podcast. Uh, the separation is in the preparation. Yeah, many thanks, Jeremiah. It's been a big pleasure being on here we just want to shout out Eli Strom and Brandon Moran there he's our Eli's our uh, athletic trainer Brandon's our sports scientist strength and conditioning coach both those guys have been integral in helping our team stay healthy we have a small squad so we can't afford guys being out with injuries and they've done a fantastic job and also a shout out to the game day operations staff even with attendance not necessarily pushing the stadium every every uh every week they do a great job making us feel like pros and making us feel special every time you play at home so hopefully you guys can put a little extra pressure on them this weekend. So they have to deal with and manage with some big crowds. That would be awesome. But um, thanks again, Jeremiah, this has been, I, I really appreciate you reaching out. Um, it's super special to be a part of this club and super special to kind of get to spend some time on your platform. So thank you very much. Absolutely. Well, thank you for doing this and uh, signing off. I'm Jeremiah O'Shan. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast, and we will catch you next time.